Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hello, everyone. Before I introduce the guest for today, I just wanted to remind you to sign up for the upcoming webinar that is going to be happening in September and also in October with more webinars and Vimeo videos to follow. And we will certainly keep you up to date on what videos and webinars are coming out and how to sign up. And there will be a link in the bylines for this show. I also wanted to mention our numbers are rising in some interesting places. A new place that I thought you'd find interesting, South Korea. I am so happy to hear that. If you are listening in South Korea, be in touch at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com and let us know what speaks to you there about this show and the content. It is really gratifying to know that this has developed a worldwide listenership and appeal, but also is clearly helpful to different people for different reasons in different areas. For today, we have Emma Bookbinder. Emma was raised in the high-control religious group Zenos Christian Fellowship, based in Columbus, Ohio. In 2020, Zenos changed its name to Dwell Community Church following years of negative press and accusations of abuse and cult activity. Emma entered into leadership roles at Zenos slash Dwell at the age of 16 and simultaneously moved into one of the communal-style housing arrangements called a ministry house, in which she remained for 10 years until she left. Emma both experienced and implemented various forms of behavioral, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Since leaving Zenos, Dwell, at the end of 2020, Emma has experienced immense difficulty transitioning into the real world for the first time as she learns to navigate the complexities of developing healthy friendships, setting boundaries, listening to her intuition, and valuing rest. Very important. She's also still navigating how to interact with loved ones still involved in Xenos. Emma hopes that her story will give others courage to share their own experiences and create awareness that these forms of abuse can and do happen to your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Here is Emma now. I am so happy to have Emma Bookbinder on the show today. I know that there is a lot of um, need to kind of narrow down the story in order to be able to tell it in kind of this bite-sized piece. So I always appreciate the people have taken the time to figure out how to do that. But I want you to just spend a couple of moments introducing yourself and having the listeners get to know a little bit about you. And then we'll start telling your story and get into some of the subjects that you wanted to be able to discuss that I'm really excited about. So go ahead. So I am Emma Bookbinder. I am from Columbus, Ohio, and have lived here my whole life. And about a year and almost almost a year and a half ago came out of Xenos Christian Fellowship, which is now known as Dwell Community Church that's based here in Columbus, Ohio. So I grew up in Xenos or Dwell and left when I was 26. 
and was in their communal living housing, was in multiple different forms of leadership from when I was 16 until when I was 26 and um, didn't realize what I was in when I was in it until I left. So I still have a lot of loved ones and family still involved in the church and uh, have just been kind of trying to navigate real life for the first time in the real world. So when you say that you have a lot of loved ones and family still in the church, what's that been like for you? Are you able to have any communication with them? I have had communication with them. Some of them I have chosen to not have communication with either initially or at all. But yeah, I I do have communication with some people. This is a topic that I typically try to avoid with them in general, honestly. Right. Because of knowing how that's going to go or have you had bad conversations with them about it? Some of both. I don't think that they would consider them bad conversations, but comments have been made that make me question my own version of reality and my experiences or comments are made that kind of minimize or downplay what I've been through or just flat out deny that there's anything bad going on. So I don't think that they would consider them bad conversations or bad comments, but they definitely affect me in negative ways. Okay. So it's really interesting that you started by saying that they can impact your own vision of it, kind of your view of the reality of the situation. It is a very compelling thing when you feel at times like you might be the lone voice and you wonder if you're right. That's something that happens over and over again with a lot of people who will say that, you know, I I needed to get to a point where I felt really clear enough to make this big change, but I still know that talking to the people who are in it has an impact on me and it makes me wonder. And so in what ways has that happened? What have they made you kind of question, even though it sounds like you've been able to steal yourself to your decision and and hold tight to it, what have they made you at times question? Most things. Most <laughs> I things. Think, uh-huh. <laughs> I thankfully I, I have a really strong support system of a lot of people who left Xenos before I did. And so that's been really helpful in kind of grounding my sense of reality. But yeah, I question a lot of things. I question the experiences that I went through and if they were abusive and I question if I'm a terrible person for not being part of that church. I question if there's a God and what he thinks of me for the first time, because everything that I learned about the Bible, about God, about community, I think was really tainted by different forms of abuse and agendas that had a lot of control and power behind them. The thing I struggle with most is questioning my own intuition and conscience and desires. In Xenos, almost every decision you make is fielded by many people. All of your business is out there. All of your decisions and your thoughts are expected to be communicated to everybody. All of the people in your cell group, which is basically a woman's group, or in your house, which in the case I had, I always had multiple, multiple roommates. And I was so used to running my thoughts by so many people and being told that there's a right answer. And so now that when I've left, I feel so unsure about even small decisions in my life and feel like I have no way of making sense of the world in a lot of ways. 
Mm-hmm. There are things that I come across daily with my clients and with people who talk on the podcast. What has been interesting for a lot of them is exactly that, that they needed to run everything by other people. And then in retrospect, have the sense that those people might not have been right and they might not have known what they were talking about, but they said it with a certain amount of assurance. So I listened. And along the way, I had also learned that I couldn't trust myself. I had to give that over to these other people. But I think having a distance from them can make you wonder if they were qualified to answer these questions correctly. Is that something you think about? Oh, absolutely. And I think that the fact that it's a religious community adds a whole nother layer to that as well, because it's not just that they feel self-assured in answering your question or directing you and your decision-making, but that it's actually a decision from God, like that the divine has an opinion on the way that you live your life in the small ways or the big ways. And that has been really difficult for me and was actually kind of the reason that I left. Oh, interesting. Let's talk a little bit about that. And then we'll go back to talking more about your history. Why was that some of the reason that you left? It's really interesting talking to other people that have left because a lot of them, I think it was this more gradual understanding of this is not right. I shouldn't be here. But for me, my decision to leave was almost kind of just a trauma response where I was just like, I need to leave now. I have to get out of here. And I didn't actually realize what I was doing. I left. And then I was like, wait, I just left all of my friends and everything that I know. And this will never be the same again. And I had, I didn't realize that initially, but the things leading up to it were some interesting events that in the moment felt like such a big deal. But now looking back, I'm like just dumbfounded that this even happened. So I did some things that were wrong in Xenos's eyes and got totally destroyed for doing them. I decided not to go on a trip with 60 plus people during the pandemic to a hotspot state and was told, I don't love God. I don't appreciate community. I'm being selfish, autonomous, dramatic, all of those things. And then shortly after that, um, I kissed someone (laughs) Mm -hmm. and told one of my friends about it. And then shortly afterwards was rebuked by multiple people and then had a surprise intervention about how that was sinful and to talk about, you know, how bad of an example it was, things like that. And then I decided, you know what, I am 26. I've been living in a ministry house with up to 14 roommates since I was 16 years old. And this is weird now. I was like, I have co-workers in their 30s that I don't want to bring over to my house. It's dirty. It's disgusting. I've been sleeping in my childhood twin bed my entire life as an adult. I don't want to live here anymore. And that was really the breaking point when I started talking about that. Even my friend, my friends just lost their minds. I mean, I would tell them and then have to say, I know that this might be really hard for you. So you can take some time to like process this if you want you don't have to respond right now. But I mean, 
even their body language was just pure panic. And they told me, you know, this isn't you, you're listening to Satan, things like that. God doesn't want this for you. And looking back, I'm like, those are so such normal things, <laughs> such normal things. <laughs> yes. But again, it was everybody told me their opinion and it was influenced by quote unquote God's voice. Right. And so then you can think that you can't argue with it. Exactly. If you do argue with it, you are prideful, which is the label that I consistently got. Wow. Yeah. You're not willing to hear counsel and you're prideful. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even just the whole host of insults you got just from not wanting to go to what was going to be basically a super spreader event. Right. Um, (laughs) And also being called autonomous as an insult, which is so interesting. It was a big insult. I wonder just before continuing on, if you can describe for people what's different about Xenos and now called Dwell than other churches. I don't even know if I would consider it a church at this point. It was really interesting because when you're in Xenos, you know that everybody thinks it's a cult. But even when I left, I was like, it's not really, I don't know. But then when I started actually trying to live a normal life, I was like, I feel like I left a cult. Trying to adjust to the real world feels like I left a cult. So basically, when you consider a church, I think of like, you know, you go to a church once a week, maybe twice because you're in a Bible study and you just have your church friends and you talk about God and you, you worship God. This is an entire life consuming system. It's like another full-time job. So at the bare minimum, if you're a normal member, you go to home church, CT, which is central teaching, and cell group every week. You also meet with a discipler. If you live in the ministry house, you also attend house meeting. And then if you do a secondary ministry, like high school group or middle school group, you attend that meeting, two of those meetings actually, a week as well as leaders meeting for it and meeting with people from that ministry. And then if you're in college leadership as well, you prepare for teachings, you meet with your college disciples, you attend college leaders meeting, women's leaders hangouts, and then there's leadership training classes as well. And there's a designated date night (laughs) because everybody's schedules are so crazy. There's hangouts too. You're literally doing something every night, every hour of the day. I looked at my schedule recently from back when I was in Xenos and it is packed full. You do not have time to yourself and you're actually shamed for wanting to rest. Like I didn't realize that this was so, because I lived, I, I lived my life in this system, my whole, my whole life. So I didn't realize that this was messed up, but they shame people for saying they want eight hours of sleep regularly. That's a common known thing is that if you say that you want to go home before like 1130 from a meeting, you are told that you are living the comp life or, you know, that you should be spending time in fellowship, that you are being selfish. You know, they'd be like, well, what time do you have to wake up? Oh, you're fine. That's fine. Whatever. You don't need to go home. I think that that's kind of why people stay in it too, is because they don't have time to think for themselves and slow down and realize this is crazy. Right. So also at 1130 at night, 
needing to go home and rest, I mean, sort of just listening to what your body is telling you it needs is considered sinful, I guess, because it doesn't show your devotion or it doesn't work well for them because the longer they can have you there, the more they can use you. What was the motivation for them to not want you to go home? I don't know. I mean, I'm having a hard time, like actually thinking about other than what they said, which it was that it was selfish to kind of take away from how God could use you that night. Wow. I mean, it all fits together that it is about you just stating that you need something for you, which doesn't seem like it was part of the culture of the place that it wasn't supposed to be about you. Yeah. And I think while I, when I think about it too, I think part of it is that you were supposed to want to spend time with these people and love them. And what could be better than that? What could be better than spending time with these people? Not sleep, not taking care of your body. Right. Okay. So let me know about these cells. So what is a cell? Because there's a lot of language that overlaps with a lot of these groups, but that's a term I haven't really heard very often. So tell me about that. So cell group is an exclusive women's only or men's only Bible study group that meets on Friday nights. So you have to be invited to it. Normally you have to be in a discipleship relationship already. And it's a commitment. It's not something that you just go to when you want to. It's typically something that you sign up for going to every single week. And it's a privilege to be part of when you first come out. We would read the Bible or different religious books, a lot of them written by the elders of Xenos. And the only other thing that would really happen during those times during cell groups too, is that people would confess their sins to the cell group. Wow. Okay. That's intense. You know, there are some groups where they really do push people to confess their sins. I mean, that's not a new idea in a lot of religious practice, but that there are sometimes in terms of the the social construct, there is sometimes this pressure to share more, first of all, than you wanted to, but also just to share more kind of almost in a more exaggerated way. Like the more that you opened up about your sin or the more you considered something sinful that you did, the better. So sometimes what people talk about, I'm thinking about a particular group where they would do something called a sin study. We'd sit down and have to sit with a discipler who would make a list. And a lot of people who left talk about the discipler being disappointed if the list was short. So they wanted to please the person. So they'd say, oh, and I also had this bad thought, or I looked at someone this way, or, you know, like they, it it almost felt like they needed to add more to their sinfulness to be seen as really sort of doing the spiritual work that they're supposed to be doing. So I'm curious how it all went down. So when people confessed sin at cell group, it wasn't let's all share our sin. It was somebody really messed up in Xenos's eyes, whether they got drunk, they got too hot and heavy with their boyfriend or something like that. And they were asked by a leader to confess at cell group. and then the leaders would talk about how how do we want to respond when this person confesses? What tone should we use? What points do we want to drive home with the rest of the group? And so it would basically all be scripted. <laughs> Somebody would confess, you know, I got drunk again the other night. And then people would take turns 
either saying thank you so much for telling us, thank you for that you felt like you could be open, even though they were told by leaders to confess. Or the other way would be, you know, this is the second time that this has happened. What's going to be different? Like, how could you have hidden this from all of us? Like, how could you have hidden this from all of us as though everyone deserved your private information? Everyone always deserves your private information in Xenos. Wow. Yeah, I have so many experiences like that where I was shamed into communicating about my personal life with people that I was not friends with or didn't know or care about their opinions because they are just deserving to know that. I don't know. So that does a couple things to people. On the one hand, it does at times make people feel that they are more sinful than they really are because so much is considered a sin that really is a natural drive or a feeling or a mistake that people might make or developmentally appropriate thing. And so you can have a self-concept that gets developed of you being a sinner. What can also happen then is that you have to worry, I think, with a close-knit community of being seen a certain way and having a certain reputation that kind of the scarlet letter that follows you around. And I wonder if if that happened, that certain people were just sort of looked upon with judgment, even if after they were told they had to share it, still it sort of used against them in this way. Oh, absolutely. Because really, Xenos is all about like climbing the ladder and getting more and more privileges and more recognition and more responsibility. And those are all signs that you love God more, that you're more spiritual, but really they're all dictated by the leaders. So yeah, if you do something that is deemed sinful in Zenos's eyes, you risk losing your privileges Absolutely. And I was just talking to some friends about this the other night because they were talking about how they had certain thoughts or feelings that if they shared, they would have lost everything that they knew. And that's happened to some of my friends before. Lost jobs, fiancés, housing, things like that. Housing. Wow. Okay. Well, because Xenos doesn't own that ministry houses, but they lead them. (laughs) So... They dictate who is in them and who's not and tell people to lie to their landlords about how many people are living there and when they should move and when they should split houses and things like that. So, okay. Okay. I'm writing this down. (laughs) There's so much to go back to. I had a, a story about what you were talking about with kind of making you feel more sinful than you are or doubting yourself. Yeah. It's just so true. So I do photo shoots sometimes like different friends that are photographers or things like that. And I did my first photo shoot while I was in the church and it blew up. I mean, (laughs) I did this photo shoot with an artist that I was working for at the time. And she took these pictures of me. I thought that they were great. I wasn't wearing anything too revealing. I was wearing more than a bathing suit and I just got so shamed for it. One of my best friends said, I really hope that this person doesn't put them on Instagram because I would never want my husband to see this. And then the leaders, two of the leaders in my group ended up sitting me down and telling me that this was really self-consumed of me. This was a bad example to other people. And they asked me, at what point during the photo shoot did you hear the spirit's voice and deny him? And so 
I sat there and tried to think, I was like, when did I do that? And I was like, I don't remember ever doing that. I don't remember feeling that way. And they were like, well, then your heart must be so hardened to the Lord that you just have numbed yourself to hearing his voice and asking God to break me and to reveal my pride and things like that. And it's so wild. It's so wild. Wow. Okay. You know, there is this idea where people say it's sort of crazy making when you are guilty till kind of never proven innocent, when you are accused of something like the question. I mean, it's it's a difficult question. It's, it now has more punch to it than it, it did before when I remember first hearing it. But when did you stop beating your wife was sort of the typical question, right? And the person says, I, I've never done that. No, but I'm asking you, when did you stop? You know, you've like started in the middle of the story. I've already dealt with you being my judge and jury. You've decided that I'm guilty of something. And now I have to join in this argument that's false, like this house of cards. Then I would feel wrong for saying that that never happened. So I have to somehow consider that maybe that's true, that at some point I decided not to listen. It's very head spinning because you didn't do anything wrong and you didn't choose to not listen to anyone. In fact, you were just sort of listening to yourself, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And so in those moments, did you wonder if this was just not true or did you feel like emotionally or spiritually you had to jump into the argument and consider that maybe they were right? I thought that they were right. They dictated the good and bad things that happened in my life and their opinion about me and my decisions were the most important things to me because they heard from God. They knew what his opinion was on these different situations. And I genuinely wanted to hear from God and be a good person. And so I dove in and, and believed them. And I think that there, there were times that I fought back for sure. I am pretty rebellious and stubborn by nature and would stand up for things that I definitely thought were wrong, especially in the end. But for the most part, you know, maybe I would ask questions on the outside, but internally I was trying to force myself to be convinced about the person that they said I was or the thoughts that they declared were true, even if I didn't think they were. Right. Which takes a lot of untangling when you get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So before we even get to that spider web that you had to like get off of you, there are a couple of things that you talked about. One was this idea of valuing rest and self-care, really taking care of yourself, which is, I know, a challenge for a lot of people when they get out and it's seen as selfish, et cetera. There is also something that you mentioned about setting boundaries, listening to your intuition, and also about friendships. So if I can start there about friendships. So what did friendship mean when you were in the group? Did you have to believe the same way? Could you share something with a friend and have it remain private? You definitely had to believe the same way. People didn't really have friends, actual true friends outside of Xenos. And there was no way you could ever date anybody outside of Xenos either. I tried and it was not great. You're not allowed to even date other Christians. You're just, if they're not in Xenos, no. I think friendship, it's hard to define. And that's something that I've been trying to consider as I left because I'm trying to define what friendship is for the first time. But you 
didn't really get an option to choose who you were friends with or not. You were expected to spend time, do regular hangouts, which was like a two hour block of time pretty regularly. There wasn't like a set time for this, but regularly hang out with all of your roommates, the people in your cell group. And then there were group hangouts typically once or twice a week too. And no, you wouldn't be able to tell somebody something in confidence because part of the ladder that goes on where you're trying to get different privileges and recognition is feeding information to the leaders. So the more useful you are to them and telling other people their information, the more valuable you are to them. So my closest friends were women that I discipled for five, seven, nine plus years. And I met with them every single week, studied the Bible with them. When we were single, we lived together. It's literally like a family situation. Like I was their mother or something like that because they would follow me to different groups, to different houses. Yeah. We met every week. We studied the Bible. I helped them make decisions about their lives. And now all of them are married. At least two of them are leaders in their home churches now. And we still continued to hang out because I essentially grew up with them. I mean, I started discipling them when I was like 16 or 17 years old and they were younger. And so essentially grew up with them and they were my family. And then when I started making the decision to want to move out of the ministry house or when I kissed that guy, they kind of just turned on me (laughs) and didn't support me. And like I said, I just didn't really have a lot of foreknowledge of my own decisions. And so it really caught me off guard. And I didn't realize by choosing to leave Xenos, I was essentially leaving these lifelong friendships that I had too. One of the hardest things for people is finding out about the conditionality of friendships that felt truer than other connections, because you shared so much And you shared this spiritual connection. And these are people who, like ducklings, followed you from place to place also. Like there's this connection that felt very real. And I think it was real at the time. But it's very hard to find out that the group itself stands squarely between you. And you don't know that until you make a different decision than you're quote unquote supposed to or that you decide to leave. And then I think their connection to the church becomes more important than their friendship with you. That's very hard. That actually causes a lot of people depression and feelings of isolation. I'm wondering what that was like for you. I am really thankful when it comes to that, actually, because for some of my friends who left, they literally had nobody when they left. They had nobody and and had to rekindle friendships from like middle school that they hadn't talked to forever because they had no friends. But thankfully, I had developed friendships with coworkers that weren't in Xenos that stuck by my side during the whole transition and then pretty quickly rekindled friendships with people who left Xenos before me, which was extremely helpful when it came to processing and feeling like I had a community. So grieving the friendships that I left is definitely still a pretty regular part of my life, but I do feel really grateful for the support system that I have now. That's really important. It's a message that I repeat often on this podcast about 
being that person for somebody else, being the community, being the person, the go-to, the safe haven, the connection, the person who says, I got you, or what do you need? Or, okay, you know, I'm, I'm on my way over just so you know, you're not alone. I mean, it is, it's a very powerful thing. I don't know how people do it without that. It takes an inordinate amount of uh, strength just to make it through the day without anyone and, you know, not know how to connect also with people, which is this added whole other challenge. Right. Well, and it, it's been an integral part of my healing too, because I didn't feel like I could really trust anyone initially, but then having people in my life who demonstrated that I actually could trust them was extremely integral for healing. And how did they demonstrate that to you? I think kind of like what you were talking about before, just being there, being accepting of my thoughts. That's a whole new concept for me, like (laughs) allowing me to genuinely speak on who I am and what I think and what I believe without there being a right answer was extremely helpful. And And I think too, I mean, even normal day-to-day things were really difficult for me. So, I mean, making small decisions about plans, about plans, about if I should cancel a plan or do something or something else, I would get panicked and call my friends and ask them to help me make decisions or sending text messages to people. I didn't know how to formulate different text messages to people because I thought there was a right thing to say and a right way to do it. So them just being patient with me too and like helping me through those things, showing me that they are committed to being an advocate for me and don't have any agenda. (laughs) Just simple things, but (laughs) very, very important when it comes to trust. Okay. Not having an agenda. Can we talk about that for a moment? Because I could talk about that for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? That is this thread that's woven in, in such a deep way where you can wonder why is someone guiding me in a certain way? And why are they answering my questions a certain way? Why are they making me feel a certain way? And what is the agenda? And once that becomes crystallized, then I think things start to fall into place and you get why you got that advice or why you were told not to do this or to do that. But just deciphering it is really hard. And it's also hard just to acknowledge that it existed, that the agenda wasn't that they love you and they want to do what's best for you. There was this whole other lens through which they saw you. It's very interesting. Very interesting. So what has that been like for you? I've talked to a lot of my friends who have left about this and we will just reminisce about how you constantly had scripted conversations with people. You never really went into a conversation with anybody without having a goal in mind, knowing what you wanted to say and what tone you wanted to use and being well aware of the information that you were going to report afterwards to most converse, almost every conversation. Wow. So now you're dealing with a world that's more freeform and that's hard. I mean, it's freeing, but it's hard to navigate. It's extremely overwhelming, but also it is really freeing. I feel really grateful when I'm able to just listen to a friend or a coworker talk about their life and their beliefs without judging them or feeling like I have an agenda of something I need to communicate. And it's funny because I will talk to some of my friends about things, about deeper things like religion or politics or things like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll ask me what I think about what they just said. And I'm, will be like, I 
have no opinion. I can just tell you what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> tell you what I, I'll, I can tell you what Xenos would want me to say. But so I just have to keep reminding myself that it's a process of being patient with myself and not feeling like I have to be somewhere that I'm not. Right now, I'm trying to learn how to unlearn a lot of things. Mm. So tell me what you're trying to unlearn. I'm trying to unlearn this this agenda thing. I mean, that's been what's dictated my entire life. The undercurrent to a lot of it is feeling shame all the time. So like not feeling guilty for living by myself, realizing that that's not sinful or selfish, you know, trying to unlearn different messages about my sexuality or what friendships are supposed to look like, not feeling guilty for saying, you know what, I just don't really want to spend my time and energy with this person right now. And that's okay. Right. Most people who are told you or this group is or are better than everyone else in the world is under delusion because it can't be that that is true. And also, how do you define better then? So I think already there is this false premise. And it reminds me that I've I've told this story, I think, a while back on on the podcast where I, one of the initial conferences I went to when I was learning how to do this work, and I learned a lot by working with people who are former members, but also going to different conferences. There was a roundtable of people who had been leaders in Bible-based cultic groups, and one of them um, put together this little button that he gave out to different people, and it said, my God can beat up your God. And it was just this really interesting way of saying kind of the ridiculousness of it. Like, we don't have to believe that anymore, that our God is better and our group is better. And it's just, let's just sort of turn it into some kind of humor. But it's a little hard to get there when you're still in it. And it's hard to give up that stature and that status. And now for a lot of people, they don't want to be part of this world that they've learned to look down upon. Yeah, well, and it is very much so us versus them, Xenos against the world. It's pretty crazy. I mean, even recently, there has been some negative media about Xenos. Our local NBC station did a more than a week long series on Xenos and kind of the alleged claims of abuse. And Xenos's response was, We're being persecuted because we love God so much. Oh, wow. I wanted just to talk about boundaries, which actually ties in with abuses and what you should tolerate and what you shouldn't and what you don't have to. And at what point can you say no? And what do you have the right to? And what does someone else not have the right to? So how has that been for you? And how have you learned about developing those? That has been very difficult for me. I feel like I only have been starting to learn about that recently. Even when I left, I felt like I still needed to inform all of my friends about everything going on in my life all the time and get their opinion on it. So that's something that recently I've only been learning that not only am I allowed to not tell everybody everything, but it's actually freeing to not have to do that. I can just make a decision and not have to get approval or communicate that to somebody else. I think that's been something that's been pretty difficult as well as I am still close with many people that are still in Venus and boundaries are not a thing for them. And so realizing that in my friendships with them and having to communicate 
you're not respecting my boundary or I don't feel safe around you. And I'm allowed to stick to my guns here, even though it won't be respected by you has put a lot of strain on my relationships. With that too, there's elements of gaslighting that come with that every time I try to declare a boundary. So I will say, you know, I didn't want to talk about this topic anymore and request that we change the the subject. Well, that's wrong. And, you know, you need to like realize what God has to say about this. And we should continue to talk through these things. And then being told you're being dramatic. This is selfish of you. I, I don't actually think that that was abuse or considered trauma, things like that. And then it it just is harder and harder because then I question again, my own sense of reality. Mm -hmm. So it ties back into where we started the conversation when you were saying about talking to people where they minimize your experience. Yeah, absolutely. And so when people minimize your experience, oftentimes it's because they've been trained to respond that way. And it makes it easier for everybody else. Because if you're saying this thing happened and it really affected me in this negative way, then other people who may have done this to you or let it happen to you or something or were involved in some way would need to take responsibility, might need to change the way they're doing things, would need to address your feelings. Suddenly they have some heavy lifting to do, but it sounds like they're not wanting to. So they're just making sure that you don't feel what you feel and you don't have a negative impact from what happened. And you kind of question yourself for having a negative reaction. And then they can go about their day kind of unencumbered with the story that you're sharing or what happened to you. I mean, it feels really self-serving actually. Definitely. I'd say that that's true for sure. And is the the typical response in Xenos publicly and privately as well. Wow. So then let's talk about boundaries. So, you know, how do you define them when they haven't been modeled for you? How do you know where to draw your line? That's the question. I don't know. I think I've been trying to give myself the freedom to protect myself and feel like that's okay because it wasn't for so long. And a lot of that right now is it's it's hard for me to under to know what's actually like true or not <laughs> when I'm even talking about this. Because in my mind, I'm putting up boundaries with people that I feel unsafe around that make me question my sense of reality. I'm telling them, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to see you right now, things like that. And I've been told for so long that those are too high of boundaries or dramatic or it's being selfish and emotional. So I'm trying to learn that it's okay and actually admirable to protect myself in these ways right now. But I'm like constantly trying to evaluate what that means about me too. Okay, right. So I know that when I ask about boundaries, I'm asking about something that is really convoluted and is very personal. And people raised without being able to have them, like having to share everything or overshare, you know, all of it and not being able to say no, et cetera, that then they sometimes feel that they have to do this pendulum swing and just to practice and to say no to a lot of things and to not do a lot of things that they would have done just to see if they can and if that's okay and to try that out. 
So there's a lot of trial and error, but what's also interesting coming from a system that's black and white, like you're saying, you evaluate things right or wrong, good or bad. There are some boundaries that are set that are absolutes as they should be, like about being abused, et cetera. But there are others that are in the gray and it's a, it's a line that gets shifted based on your mood, based on the other person. If you feel like you've learned that you can trust them, then you can shift the boundary line. And then if you find that you can no longer trust them, then you kind of make it closer to like you uphold it more that it doesn't have to be static in a lot of situations, sort of based on merit and who someone has let you know they are in your life. And if you feel like you need to keep that boundary really set, or if it can be a little looser because they've been cool. So, you know, I think it's, it's nice to know that that you don't have to draw this permanent line in the sand in some situations. For many of my close friends who really hurt me when I left, I said, I'm not ready to talk to you. And that was just completely outrageous to them. And, you know, maybe six months to a year later, I reconnected and kind of have reached out in different different ways. But it's kind of like, no, the door is shut forever now. And while I, I don't know if that's going to be the case for me, it's just, I think the the black and white thinking from their end as well. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Okay. So I know that we're coming up to, you know, present day, but I, I have a feeling there are some stories, some memories that are important to you that you wanted to be able to share things that really made an impact in good or bad ways that I would love for you to have an opportunity to share now? I think there are stories that are not necessarily my own, but are happen to my close friends that kind of demonstrate like what happens, you know? Um, I mean, one situation was like, I jokingly told my roommate something that ended up being communicated to so many people and then brought up at my boyfriend's leaders meeting. And then he ended up being told to talk to me about it. And so when I say that, like you tell everybody everything, or, you know, you don't have the boundary or the confidence to tell somebody something and it not be spread around. That's like church wide. Some of my friends, like they were considering leaving, but didn't want to tell people and they're disciples knew about it already because it had made its way through the grapevine. Everybody knows everything. And and I think you talked about before kind of like these consequences that come from quote unquote sin too. Like you, I would know the shit going on, the sin issues going on in people's lives that weren't even in my home church. So I think that is a situation, you know, another Another situation with one of my close friends, he is actually still in the church, but he was like involved in a, some sinful activity that Xenos deemed sinful. And because of that was asked to move out of the ministry house. He was about to propose to his girlfriend and they told her to break up with him. He also was working for the church and got fired from the church. And then his discipler asked him, do you want to go to an adult group now? 
because college group is like for 18 to maybe 34 year olds, they try to keep you in it as long as they possibly can. And so when you're asked to go to an adult group, it's kind of like, you're not really worth anything anymore. And you're being like shipped away to the adult group. And this is kind of going off on a tangent, but one of the leaders of the adult group said that people are being sent there from the college group in body bags. Like they are just so drained. They're so burnt out. They're so discouraged that when they get to the adult group, they are just not even real people anymore. And so anyway, he was asked if he wanted to go to the adult group after being fired, losing his fiance, being kicked out of the ministry house. And he said, no, he said, my entire life is in shambles right now. Why would I want to move away like from all of the people who know me and care about me? And no, I don't want to go to the adult group. Well, then the next week he got an email from the head of the adult group saying, we heard you're interested in looking at adult groups. And so that's where he is now. Wow. There is something that seems to be counter to what a lot of people think a spiritual or religious organization should be like, which is that they're usually very gossipy. And it's so interesting. I know I'm going to sound weirdly sexist for saying this, but I feel like so many people are the mean girls, (laughs) you know, and, but it's sort of part of the culture and that you, yeah, you do have to watch your back and, but, and you win points for gossiping. When I was young, yeah, friends wanted to whisper something to me, bring it on. It was so much fun. It was delicious. Then I remember at um, my my dad passed away at a young age and at his funeral, one of the things that I remember someone saying was that they had never heard him say a bad word about anybody else. And I thought, that's a great way to live your life. So from then on, gossip was no longer delicious to me. It was actually like not a good thing, not a nice thing. And then people knew they could trust me. I also became irritating to people who really wanted to share something with me. And I'd say, listen, did that person give you permission to tell me? And if not, I don't want to hear it. And then I I wasn't the fun friend anymore. And raising my kids at the table, dinner table, I would say, you can talk about people if you're saying something nice about them or they're going through a hard time and you want to you know, you think we we need to come together to help them, but there's sort of, there were rules around it. Within a lot of these Bible-based groups, and even not, but just kind of these insular communities, information is power. And so it is liberally shared. And yeah, just that you're not safe. It's incredible. Yeah, I think that's so true. And so, okay, so go ahead. Are there more stories that you wanted to share that really shine a light? Something that I've just been thinking about a lot recently is with everything coming out in the media recently about Xenos, this isn't the first time that this has happened. This happened years ago too, actually before they changed their name to Dwell. And they say it's not correlated, but (laughs) it is. So at the time when things first started coming out, there's a whole website that was made by an ex-member called xenosisocult.com with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of abuse. And I remember years ago, one of my close friends left the church around that time because Xenos's response to all of it was so terrible because they basically said, we don't really care. and This abuse isn't happening. And recently when they've been interviewing, they actually did an interview with a Spirit Watch Ministries who's putting out a documentary 
about Xenos. And that was their claim. They they continued to say, you know, we have systems in place where this doesn't happen. We don't want this to happen. This doesn't happen. And, you know, I feel like obviously very minimized by those comments. But, you know, and not to make this a, a political thing, but it just really reminds me of the response of like white America in general to systemic racism saying like, well, this just doesn't exist. This isn't happening. We don't want this to happen. So it's not happening. We have systems in place. So this is, doesn't happen. So it's not happening. And that's just not the truth. There is abuse going on. And just because they have a paper saying what the difference between gossip and conferral is, doesn't mean that gossip isn't in the church. Oh, the, so they just term it something else, but it's the same thing. Absolutely. Really, it's that they say, well, this is our stance on it, that we don't want this to happen. But in reality, it is happening. So it doesn't matter if you wrote a paper on it or what your stance is. It's, it matters what's actually going on in the church across the board. That's kind of what is, is going on. And, and really, that just their response in general has been really difficult for a lot of my friends. They put out a teaching kind of in response to the NBC reports and compared Xenos to Jews during the Holocaust. They called people who left Xenos sadistic trolls. They, you know, basically just ripped on anybody who has said that they have a bad experience in Xenos. And then at the end of the teaching, they said that, how should we respond to this? Well, we should love them. Extremely hypocritical. (laughs) What did you just spend 90% of the teaching doing? Not loving the people who left. And they put out a response recently too saying, well, they had actually an emergency secret church meeting and the elders said, we will not be issuing a public apology, but you should each individually consider if you've hurt anyone and reach out and apologize. And initially I was very angry about that. I was angry. I was angry about thinking about people apologizing to people. And I think that it's because I don't think that they have the mental capacity to understand what they would be apologizing for. Like if they're still completely immersed in these systems of abuse, how would you apologize for abuse that you've committed to people? I mean, I don't think that there's any way of being able to really genuinely understand and issue a full apology. And I think that that's probably black and white thinking too on my part, but. I don't know. I but I see, I absolutely see your point. I mean, if it's pro forma and people are told that they need to do it, uh, it's very much like, well, a three or four year old who, you know, knocks into someone either on purpose or by accident and is told to go over and say they're sorry. They're not to go over and feel that they're sorry. And so it's still good to learn to say that, but you want to know that there's an emotion behind it that's genuine. And if not, then it's just hollow. And then they can also put it behind them because they did what they were told to do. But it's not at all satisfying to the person who's victimized. I think you're right on about that. Absolutely. Well, I think that too, I mean, I was in different leadership positions, basically the entire time I was an adult, you know, from when I was 16, I was in different leadership positions and I did some real damage to people that I didn't realize until I left. And now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, that was so messed up that I was part of that. 
or that I said this to this person or that I did this. And I've been able to reach out and apologize to different people, which is great. But I just have a new clarity of some of my friends who are considering who they can apologize to that are still in the church. I'm like, you wouldn't even consider what you, what you did to them wrong at all because you're still doing it to people. I'm wondering if you feel comfortable sharing what you feel like you did and said that was hurtful knowing, I I mean, under this heading of now that, you know, you wouldn't do it, but within that system, I think you're taught that this is what is best for people and this is what they need. And this is what God wants you to do. So, so to just do that as a disclaimer, as a caveat before you even share any of it so that there is this assumption of total innocence, but still, what are some of the things you feel like you did that you now regret? I mean, most of the things that I described happening to myself, like I was part of surprise interventions with people kicking them out of the house or telling them that they were sinful and losing privileges. I have kicked out multiple people from the ministry house. I pink slipped people. I broke people up from their relationships because I villainized their significant other. I shamed people for kissing someone or hooking up with somebody or saying that they wanted to leave or have different opinions. I made people feel like they were not spiritual people, that they had less value because of different spiritual things. I berated them with questions. I judged them before a single word came out of their mouth. Like everything that I've described happening to me, I did to other people regularly and then taught them how to do it to others as well. Right. Because it's what you were supposed to do and what was best. Yeah. Okay. But it sounds like Now, with this distance that you have from it, you can see that you can see that it wasn't healthy, wasn't right. But you're saying that you've had an opportunity to talk to some people about it or to kind of make amends, to acknowledge it, to apologize. What's that been like? It's been good. It's been, I think, healing for both people. It's so interesting because Xenos claims to be a Christian organization based on forgiveness and love and acceptance, right? Because that's the message of the Bible. But I didn't really understand forgiveness, love, and acceptance until I left. And it's so wild because now I feel like I'm able to actually, and me and my friends talk about this all the time too, that have left. We're like, we can actually truly forgive each other. Like, give each other grace, just water under the bridge. We understand that what happened is was messed up, but we don't hold anything against each other. Like, And in the same way, are, are freely able to apologize and own up to the wrongdoing that we've committed to. So it's been really freeing. Some people have said, like, I never thought that I would ever get an apology for this or, you know, just things like that. And in some people too, that I I reached out to, I heard that weren't in the church and they knew the whole time what was going on. And they were like, I know that you did that because of this system. Like, it's okay. And I'm so glad that you've done it. It's not easy. Takes a lot of bravery to do that. And so I give you a lot of credit for that. And I think one of the signs of an unhealthy organization and unhealthy relationship is that 
in order to please the people there, you need to do something that ultimately is against your conscience. And that is kind of an insight that you don't have at the time but that you have later on. The other thing I think about is how much it makes a person and a church and any other group look good when they actually acknowledge what they're doing or what they've done and they apologize and they change. A lot of systems that are insular in this way think it's a sign of weakness or admission, but it would give them so much more credibility if they just said, yeah, this happens. And we not only are bothered by it because that's just talk, we are going to make sure it never happens and it's not going to be codified as part of our system anymore. And we are going to make these changes. Then their stats and people's eyes are going to go way up. But I don't know if they realize that. No, no, I don't think so. Wow. So they just hold to how it is and hope that they can keep getting away with it. Yeah. So just as we're kind of coming to a close, what else did you want to make sure to, to cover any subjects, any challenges, you know, take it away. So there's this article on Xenos's website currently that talks about career and education and things like that. There's a lot in it that I disagree with, but there's this one part specifically that talks about high schoolers going into college and considering leaving Columbus for college, which therefore means leaving Xenos. And the article says, we have heard both parents and students argue God is sovereign. So if a kid's heart is right with God, he can go anywhere and things will work out. Columbus isn't the only place that God works. This argument might hold water in some cases, but usually if a kid's heart is right with God, he doesn't want to go anywhere else. The kid's We see taking this move follow one of two patterns. Either the kid would rather stay here, but is being pressured by parents to leave, or the kid has never served God in the first place. Wow. Oh, so those are the only two choices. (laughs) Talk about black and white. Okay. Wow. So what's your response to that? So I actually, when I was leaving, as well as many of my other friends, when I was leaving, I tried to talk to different members of leadership in the church because years ago, when Xenos was being outed in the, in the media, they said, you know, we have this grievance board. We want to talk to people. Nobody will talk to us. We want to hear their stories. And they're still claiming the same things now. But so a lot of my friends reached out and tried to communicate about the abuse that we suffered, the things that we went through. And I actually sent that paragraph to a member of the so-called grievance board when I left and said, this demonstrates one of the many issues that I had in Xenos, that this black and white thinking, this judgment call from God about decisions that people make, things like that. And they basically asked me to write an op-ed about the article as a whole. And one of their questions to me was, do you have thoughts about how you might communicate the idea of college in a way that would get rid of the problems that you're seeing? And I basically said, I was like, well, I'd like to help reword and redirect these statements in a way that seems less controlling. But what's the the main goal for communication about, quote unquote, the idea of college? Because I was like, this is just like church authority teachings that aren't based in the Bible telling somebody that it's wrong to do X, Y, Z. So if you're asking me to find a way to communicate 
like convincing students to not move away from college, then no, I don't have any advice. But basically, after I communicated about this article, things like that, and tried to reach out, I actually, this is part of my response to her too, in an effort to communicate with the grievance board was talking about the bite model of mind control, because they asked for kind of proof of the abuse that we had endured. And my friends and I had recently come across the bite model. We had each spent time evaluating it and our experiences. And about 80% of all of the examples in the bite model, we felt applied to our experiences. And so I said that with my email as well and didn't hear anything back. And most of my friends have not heard anything back. It's just another kind of example of the hypocrisy or the not even hypocrisy, but just they say that they're going to provide support that they want to connect and communicate and they don't. Yeah. You know, and so for people to know about the bite model, it encompasses behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. There's all of that. And then some. Yeah. Okay. What else before we finish up? As far as my life now and kind of how things are going, it's really interesting because when somebody leaves Xenos and you're still in it, there's just all this pity for that person. Like, oh, they don't love God anymore. They got into sin. They wanted to pursue the world. Those are the common things. And, and most of the time, those things aren't even true. It's just people trying to make sense of why somebody would leave. But there's this sense of pity and there's this there's really a fear instilled in everybody in Xenos that if you leave, you will be miserable. There's nothing out there for you. And I think while it was really scary to leave because it was all that I knew, my life now is really wonderful. That doesn't mean I'm still, I'm not still struggling with things. I definitely am. Like it's really difficult to navigate real life for the first time, but I am so grateful every single day for my apartment. I'm so grateful every single day for my friends and my neighborhood and the freedoms that I have. And it was the best decision that I've ever made. And I'm so, so grateful. Like there's such a huge community of people who have left too that are still in Xenos that get it and genuinely want to help people heal and thrive in in their life apart from Xenos. And I just want to comment on that because my goal in doing this podcast isn't to attack Xenos, but to kind of expose some truth and also hopefully give people courage. It's really scary to talk about this stuff. Like I'm really scared to even talk about it, but I want to kind of normalize some of this. Not that it means that it's not in any way that would take away the uh, the pain that comes with it or how bad it actually is, but normalize it in a way that it's like, I know what the, the reality is. I know what happened. I know that it was bad. And just because it isn't like Jonestown or something like that doesn't mean that it's not still really abusive. And I think that, um, you know, I hope that people start talking about it more in a public way and that people who are in the church get some understanding or some perspective that there is a life outside of it. Very powerful message. There's something so hopeful in it. And you're right, you know, you can't compare tragedies or traumas. They, they're they unique in their own way. 
some become more famous than others and infamous than others, but still the after effect from a place like people who escape Jonestown and people who leave other groups, sometimes there's so much overlap, even if the environment was a different one, or even the belief system was a different one. The methods of control were usually so similar that then the after effects are going to be also similar. And so I'm really glad that you've been able to move beyond this and acknowledge that even though there's still challenges, they can be worked on, they can be addressed. It's good to have names to ascribe to them to say, oh, this is what I'm feeling, or this is a technique that happened to me. So now I understand why I'm feeling that way. You know, talking about it, learning about it really helps to do that. So thank you for your time, for telling these stories, for for also having strength still along your journey um, and um, and having that message of hopefulness. And also to clarify that, no, you're not here to skewer a group. You are here to tell the truth, to tell facts, to help to validate your experience and other people's experiences, which is, I think, a very important and very respectful thing to do. And it was really nice to be able to talk to you. And if you want to come back on at any point, please just let me know. Awesome. Thanks so much. One more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Emma for her time and telling her story and also just how open she was about what this transition has been like for her and how hard it is and all the details she offered about how difficult it is to set boundaries, to listen to yourself, how it was okay to lie for the church and be able to really do things or be encouraged to do things that at the end of the day could be against your conscience, but were somehow Mm, utilized, pushed, reinforced as somehow being valuable tools within this church. It's not unlike many others. One of the signs of an unhealthy group or relationship is that you do things that are against your conscience. And you might not realize they're against your conscience at the time, but you might feel it. Sometimes people told me that they had told themselves this was right, that they were supposed to rat each other out, that they were supposed to do things that they normally wouldn't do. And it didn't register psychologically. It didn't register verbally in their minds as something wrong, but it kind of registered in their body. They were noticing they were getting headaches or stomach aches, um, tension in their neck, tightening of the jaw, even sometimes nightmares because they were wrestling with their conscience. You want to watch out for these signs as well. One of the things that Emma talked about so openly, too, is something that I'm glad she said, and I'm glad that she wasn't feeling too shamed to say, because it is so incredibly common that not only do things happen to you, but you are part of the system where you do those things to other people, too. Again, I think because you're given this sense that it is for the greater good or it is what God wants you to do, but really... What is important is that when you start to do things to other people, it's because you've made an automatic assumption 
that they need that, that they need that kind of behavior modification, that they need to have those rules enforced, that they have something wrong with them, or that people outside need to be kind of conditioned to feel that they're doing things the wrong way or they're going to go to hell unless they believe the right way. It's like all the people who come to my home, as we've talked about, who try to convert me and save me and I'm, I don't believe me. I can see they don't believe me when I say I'm fine. What is important is that when you learn to do this, you learn to judge a book by its cover. Even before you've seen the cover, you just learn how to judge a book. You learn how to judge immediately. And you learn how to see people through a certain filter, through a certain lens that's been given to you. It's very hard when people leave an organization like this to take that lens off, to take those glasses off and see people for who they are, see yourself for who you are, that maybe you don't need saving, maybe you're not a bad person, maybe you don't need to be controlled in this way or else you're going to do bad things, that maybe people don't need to be protected in the way that you think they do. Maybe people are not automatically less than because they don't believe the way you do. The idea that that kind of judgment is so automatic is actually really hard to get rid of because it has been so trained. And like we've talked about here before, people within groups like this often feel, because they're taught to feel, very superior superior over other people who they're taught don't believe the right way, which is going to be the entire rest of the world. So you're usually part of this very special group that you think have the answers and you think are going to be protected unlike anyone else. But what's also true is that when you're in this group, you very often are made to feel less than the other people in the group. So I sort of see it like people on certain levels jockeying for position, being pushed up and pushed down and being made to feel like they have to clamor to be seen at a higher level than other people so that they're not knocked down a few pegs. And I would love for people just to be able to be and not have to worry about how they're perceived and not have to automatically perceive others in a certain way without hearing their story, without getting to know them, without finding out about their life. There are so many people who have said to people who say, oh, well, I don't know if I believe in God. Well, then how are you going to know right from wrong? Then automatically you're going to do bad things. What's going to stop you from killing someone? Well, I don't know, because I, I wouldn't want to be killed, so I would assume someone else wouldn't either, or I have self-control, so I don't need to kill other people, or I know that's not actually a way to get justice, and maybe I know another way to handle my emotions. You don't necessarily need the structure you're taught you need in order to keep yourself being a quote-unquote good person. And... When you leave, then, if you have this kind of automatic thinking where you judge people very quickly based on if they believe the right way or the quote-unquote wrong way, and again, most of the world is going to believe the wrong way, then unfortunately, it's very easy for you to turn that attention inward in a very negative way as soon as you leave, thinking, oh no, now I'm one of these people who is not protected. I'm one of these people who might not be good. I'm one of these people who God will not look down upon and smile on. And that's not true. 
it just can't be true that the amount of times that I have heard people say we had the true way, we had the only way. I think if there is a God, God is probably thinking, really? <laughs> really? You think everyone thinks that? Well, not everyone. But a lot of cultic groups think that. And people are saying they have the right way. They didn't even ask me. <laughs> and I probably would have told them that's actually not the way to be spiritual. And there are many ways to be. And again, there isn't one right way. So I am very happy for Emma that she has been able to break free. But I hear as she talks about the consistent struggle, the internal struggle, the internal dialogue to push away the automatic judgment of others and of herself. And that somehow if you feel good about yourself, that's being prideful. If you're being autonomous, making decisions for yourself, that's an insult or a sin. How do you ever learn to be an independent thinker and have critical thinking and automatic decision-making, autonomous decision-making and critical thinking, as we've talked about, are the things that threaten cult leaders and cultic groups the most. And that's why they are so demonized. So I want you to not necessarily feel prideful as it's defined by a church group. But if you find that you've had the courage to leave and connect with others who support your autonomy, who will help you make decisions, then I want you to feel proud, not prideful, but proud. That is something to feel proud of, that you are standing kind of upright in your own shoes, looking at the world, facing the world and saying, I think I actually might know a thing or two on my own without being told what to think, without being told what to feel. I think I might be able to be more of a guide in my own life in a good way and a safe way and in a smart way than I've ever been able to feel before. And yes, I do want you to feel proud of that. So thank you to Emma and to all others who want to share what they have experienced and also in a very honest way, what they've done and participated in that now they're really rethinking because it doesn't match who they are. It doesn't match their conscience. It doesn't match their core. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrination podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website, at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.